0: Welcome to Bankless, where we explore the frontier of internet money and internet finance. This is how to get started, how to get better, how to front run the opportunity. This is Ryan Sean Adams. I'm here with David Hoffman, and we're here to help you become more bankless. Tim Ferriss is on the podcast. He's an award-winning writer, podcaster with almost a billion downloads and a life hacker. He's here to give us his perspective on crypto, NFTs, and also to drop some alpha on his newest project, a project that very much involves crypto. And David and I think is going to take the world by storm. A few things to look for in this episode. Number one, is Tim all in on crypto now? We ask him that question. What does he think of crypto? Tim has an interesting perspective as both an insider in the space and an outsider, a little bit of both. Number two, Tim's been head down full-time on a secret NFT project for the last year or so. And it's got a bizarre name. What's this project about? when is it going to launch why has he spent the last year of his life on this project we're going to talk about that in the project itself which has a really cool approach I don't think we've seen in crypto so far and number three Tim actually had money in FTX so we ask him about that and ask if he's got any advice or perspective for us for those of us who are down bad in this market so make sure you stay tuned to the end of the podcast for that some excellent tips some excellent coping mechanisms both emotionally and and I think from a financial perspective too. So, David, without revealing too much about the NFT project that we're gonna talk about, we'll leave that for Tim on the show. What should listeners know coming to this episode?
1: I think the listeners should really pay attention to why Tim feels motivated to do an NFT project. And what about NFTs has captured Tim's mind? And the thing I'm really happy about is that what we're seeing here is NFTs, the technology. Unlocking some like creative energy out of a huge, like high performance individual. And listeners should know going into this episode that Tim has found a way to express himself as a creative individual and he's using of his own volition NFTs to get that done. And this is not your typical NFT drop. This is not Tim coming in and doing an NFT PFP thing. He has created a whole entire universe. And he's using NFTs as a technology to get that done. So I think this is going to be an interesting, just like unpacking of somebody using NFTs to just do something that they want to do. And so that being the context, I think people might appreciate what he's up to in this NFT world further on into the show. We spent about 45 minutes, the first 45 minutes of the show, circling the NFT project that shall not be named, just getting context, getting Tim's history. But then at some point we just explicitly say, hey Tim, okay, what are the details? At that moment in time, if you have kids or other sensitive ears on the show, you might suggest skipping over that part because as you can tell from the title of this episode, it's not entirely appropriate. But I had a fun time and Ryan and I were laughing our butts off and so you probably will too. And of course, David and I give
0: our full insights into the episode in an episode after the episode, we call The Debrief, which is available for premium bankless subscribers. If you are a premium bankless subscriber, you can access that on the premium RSS feed. If you're not, click a link in the show notes Become one and get access to that RSS feed. It's all sorts of goodies for you in the debrief. I'm sure we're going to be saying some bad words on (laughs) the
1: debrief this time as well.
0: All right, guys, we're going to get right to the episode with Tim Ferriss.
1: But before we do, we want to thank the sponsors that made this episode possible. Trufi is DeFi's largest credit protocol, connecting global lenders with institutional-grade lending opportunities. TrueFi has completed over $1.7 billion in originations and paid out nearly $35 million to lenders, proving that DeFi is ready to take its next big leap into the $8 trillion credit market. TrueFi gives lenders, like you, access to sustainable, high-yield opportunities backed by real-world investments, usually reserved for high-net-worth individuals. At the same time, fund managers use TrueFi's financial infrastructure to bring their portfolios on-chain, benefiting from the global liquidity, cost savings, and transparency of DeFi. TruFi is a decentralized financial utility. The protocol is owned and governed by the TruFi DAO, and TruFi is here to bring DeFi into the golden age, bridging the power and access of crypto with institutional-grade lending opportunities and portfolio tooling. Explore the diverse financial opportunities available on TruFi or launch your own portfolio at TrueFi.io. If you've been listening to Bankless, you know that we're fans of the modular blockchain thesis. The idea that blockchains will separate execution from data availability and consensus, allowing all three to become the best versions of themselves. And Fuel has built the fastest modular execution layer in the industry. By supporting parallel transaction execution, Fuel unlocks significantly faster throughput for the web 3 world. Fuel also goes beyond the limitations of the EVM with its own Fuel VM which is more efficient and optimized, opening up the design space for developers. And lastly, Fuel brings a powerful developer experience with its own domain-specific language, Sway, and a supportive tool chain called Fork. With Fuel, you can have the benefits of smart contract languages like Solidity while adopting the improvements made by the Rust tooling ecosystem, letting the Fuel development environment go beyond the limitations of the EVM. If you want to learn more, there's a link in the show notes to see how you can get involved with the Fuel network. Sequence is the all-in-one developer platform you need to build Web3 games and applications. For your users, Sequence is a smart wallet and it's the easiest, most intuitive onboarding your users will ever experience and comes with all the features users need to feel empowered in the Web3 world. Multi-chain support, NFT display, and users can buy SFTs, NFTs, and crypto directly with a credit or debit card. For developers, Sequence is the plug-and-play platform for Web3 games and apps. Their APIs let you bring NFTs, SFTs, and tokens. tokens into your game or application. And the Sequence Relayer enables gasless transactions for your users. Sequence already powers some of the best Web3 games like Skyweaver, NFT projects like Cool Cats, and marketplaces like NiftySwap. And Sequence is compatible with all the EVM chains, including Ethereum, Polygon, Binance Smart Chain, Arbitrum, Optimism, and Avalanche. So go to sequence.xyz to get started unlocking the full potential of your application today. Bankless Nation, I
0: could not be more excited about this conversation we're about to have with Tim Ferriss. Tim is a five-time New York Times bestselling author, award-winning podcaster, with over 900 million downloads. That's creeping up to a billion. Bankless has some work to do to catch up, David. And he's also a prolific angel investor. He's on the cusp of talking about a secret NFT project, doing a drop here. Didn't know he was a crypto guy, but maybe he is. We're gonna discuss that and what he has planned for this drop. Tim, welcome to Bankless, how you doing, man?
2: I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Thrilled to be here.
0: We are thrilled to have you too. So both Dave and I were just talking. I think you got him into cooking. Mm -hmm. I think you got me into like the four hour work week lifestyle, like there can be something outside of the grind that society Mm -hmm. prescribes to you. So uh, we appreciate you, thanks.
2: Oh, well, I appreciate you guys, man. Without readers, I'm not here. So I really appreciate it. <laughs> so
0: I want to start with this question. Maybe it's on people's mind as they're going to this episode on Bankless with Tim Ferriss. Wait, is Tim a crypto guy now? <laughs> I, don't, like, I don't know that you have to be, but there's some kind of tribe affiliation, I guess. But describe your relationship with crypto. Are you a crypto guy?
2: <laughs> I mean, there are some very technical, very deep experts in crypto. So I would say, I'll put it this way. I began acquiring crypto in late 2012, early 2013. So I have been, I suppose, on the playing field for a decent stretch of time and continued to be engaged pretty heavily all the way through the let's just call it 2017 excitement, 2015 to 17 excitement, and have stayed in. And then on the art side, I have been engaged, very deeply engaged with art, broadly speaking, since I was a kid. I wanted to be a comic book penciler for about a decade and actually got paid as an illustrator through part of college, worked in various illustration and graphic design capacities all the way through college. Digital art entered the scene for me when I moved to Salinga Valley and was trying to support a number of digital comic book startups. The tech wasn't quite there, but I collected comic books as a kid and still have all of my thousands of comic books polybagged and backed to this day. Digital art, as we're talking about it probably, entered the scene for me early 2021. And I owe Kevin Rose thanks for that. Also Katie Hahn. So Katie Hahn Mm -hmm. had a tutorial for me on my podcast. And then simultaneously, Kevin started talking to me about, I guess, some of the early days with respect to NFTs on the Ethereum blockchain. And then things went from there. So I have collected and I've been engaged with crypto and blockchain since late 2012 early 2013
1: so what ryan was trying to do right there and what i want to continue to do is everyone in crypto has kind of their archetype their category yeah so if i'm getting a sense of that like not necessarily a crypto guy but as soon as nfts came on the scene nfts perhaps resonated with you a lot more and that's really what we saw in 2021 is nfts as a technology arrived and all of a sudden it brought in a lot more people Mm -hmm. and it sounds like that it brought you in because of nfts is that right
2: I did. I would say NFTs were of interest to me, and the technology layers were of interest to me. And (laughs) so I've been engaged with that. And Kevin and I always test, I shouldn't say always, but frequently test early tech. And what interested me about NFTs was number one, I could see it being a huge catalyst for both established artists and would-be artists to generate a lot of art and do a lot of experiments. So that was extremely exciting to me. Number two, JPEGs, pretty JPEGs, are a very easy gateway drug and onboarding ramp to get normies involved with blockchain technologies without bludgeoning them with really, really, Difficult technical details. So, I saw it also as an easy way to open the end of the funnel to get more people who are non technical muggles like myself involved with all these technologies. So, that was the primary interest, I suppose. Those were the converging lines that pulled me in.
1: So, inside of the NFT world, there's also like two kinds of people, right? There are some people who are like bullish on NFTs because of like the broad general potential that it has to like change a lot of the monetization model of the internet. It's like an investable category. It's an investable industry. Mm-hmm. And then there's other people who are like actual artists who just see NFTs as a way to like monetize their art. It's just a tool for them to enable them to do the things that they do. Mm-hmm. Do you resonate with one
2: persona more than the other? I would say I'm a boundary walker here Okay. and that may come up later. There's a great book called uh, Trickster Makes This World or Makes The World by Lewis Hyde that I highly suggest to people, but talks about these trickster archetypes, coyote, raven, et cetera, as boundary walkers, right? And I identify with that on a whole lot of levels and here that's also the case. So I am interested in NFTs, broadly speaking, right? Could they replace car titles? Could they replace let's just say shipping around various collectibles whereby you could have, I'm making this up, but a wine collection that is enormous, that is stored in one place, and people can buy and sell and trade these items using NFTs in a verifiable way, including all of the possibilities for primary and then secondary sales slash royalties and so on. I am also bullish on the artistic side if secondaries and royalties can be sustained. If there's a race to the bottom, and I understand the marketplace dynamics and the economic incentives and market share drivers that apply pressure downward on all these things, then the artists disappear. That's just a foregone conclusion. So I would say TBD on that, but I'm interested in both. For sure.
0: What's really interesting, Tim, about your story so far is that it's kind of similar to Kevin's, right? It's like mm-hmm. when we've we've talked to Kevin on the podcast a couple of times. This is Kevin Rose, of course. Yeah, yeah, you know, he's talked about. I've been in crypto for a while like but I didn't really I mean it was okay it was cool I respected the technology but I wasn't one of the money crypto type people mm-hmm. like I was interested in Bitcoin but like the use case yeah. didn't really appeal to me why because I have a bank account and like mm-hmm. it kind of works okay and I don't need still it Still pretty
2: hard to buy coffee with Bitcoin.
0: <laughs> right you still can't do that. And so for him you know I think he said before even though he was sort of you know in from the very beginnings it didn't capture his attention he didn't get go fully down the rabbit hole for like David and myself is probably a little different in that um we're very excited about like the money application of crypto but even more broadly we think of this as like it's digital property rights for the internet exactly like Wow, what did we just create? And so like yeah. money is just one app on this digital property rights system, but like yeah. the whole idea of social reorganization here around like things that you can value on the internet is super cool. Anyway, it feels like you're kind of in the camp of coming at it from like you're interested in these applications, but you didn't go full in body and soul until you saw this really cool way that creators are using the medium yep. in this fantastic yep. way. And that's why, by the way, I know we're going to talk about your project. Yeah, I'm not a But rush. it's very much, it's an, <laughs> it's an artist talking about this project, yeah. and that's why you're in it. But yeah what, yeah, what do you have to say on that?
2: Well, what I was going to say is that I've dabbled in DeFi, for instance, and I'm very fascinated by it, but it's not a core area of expertise for me. Finance to begin with, financial instruments, derivatives, Etc. cetera, are not a core competency of mine. I mean, I'm not completely financially illiterate, but I am not a finance person. And therefore I tended to stay on the edges of that. I did experiment and I've used my own money, but I didn't go whole hog. I didn't feel confident enough to do that. Whereas NFTs and more broadly, and we'll talk about this probably, but once you start to expand, and look at the potential of, say, storytelling, and having various layers that intertwine one layer of which, or one component of which, is artwork. Then we start to get very quickly into a Venn diagram of overlapping strengths and core competencies of mine. And that I think is what has kept me up so many sleepless nights (laughs) with harebrained ideas. I think some amazing ideas. I just can't fucking sleep. (laughs) That's That's awesome. Yeah, it's been the story of the last, I don't know, let's call it nine to 12 months. And (laughs) I would just wake up in the middle of the night laughing and I would have to, you know, at the time, turn to my girlfriend and uh, just say, she'd be like, what are you laughing about? And I'd be like, you know what I'm laughing about. And she'd be like, oh God, here we go (laughs) once again. (laughs) And uh, that's exciting to me, right? There's bad insomnia. And I suppose any insomnia, if it's night after night after night, ultimately gets bad. But there's bad insomnia where it's stress, anxiety. And then for me, there's this physiological quickening that is good insomnia, where... (laughs) you just can't stop the ideas from coming related to some project you're really excited about.
1: Yeah. It sounds like you got bit by the bug.
2: Yeah. 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 I I think it's, I got bitten by the bug and I also had a number of bugs from Christmas past, meaning these latent passions that I have had for a very, very long time that also woke up and bit me in the ass in a good way. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, that's really cool. Another piece of this, because I know you've had many people from crypto on your podcast before, right? Yeah. So you've had Katie Hahn you mentioned, right? I think you did an episode with Chris Dixon and maybe yeah. it was also, um, also people like Vitalik Mitchell. has mm-hmm. been on. Vitalik have yeah. so you've definitely heard the crypto perspective mm-hmm. for a long time, but this is the thing that got you in. I'm also kind of looking for like maybe you probably, so one thing about bankless, and I mm. think about people who are crypto. So like David and I have been bitten by the bug for a while and like it was DeFi yeah. and money Got and orga- reorganizing the internet. It's like, but that can lead to um, a silo, right? That can lead to like, we have this bubble around us of like permabulls, like even in the wake of what just happened, yeah. Tim, like FTX and all of sure. that, we're like, this is good for crypto, <laughs> you know, because like it promotes decentralization. Yep. But I'm curious, kind of your perspective as you're sort of this uh this boundary walker mm-hmm. as you say can you get us in the head of like some of the things that give you trepidation about entering here sure because i sense that yeah. when i was hearing like you and kevin talk about yeah. it on the proof podcast i could get the sense that like there were some qualifiers from tim you're like it's this type of nft but it's not this and i don't want to make promises and guarantees and like the speculative thing, it felt like to me, you weren't quite like, you didn't want to be associated with the scam element of crypto, which I totally understand. Or maybe I'm reading things into it. But tell me about your your
2: trepidations. Totally. I would say with respect to the many caveats that <laughs> I gave in the proof podcast with Kevin, it's not so much that I don't want to be associated with the scam elements. I'm not too worried about that. At least if for anyone who has followed me for any period of time, I'm not worried about that but I don't want people to buy my pretty JPEGs as investments. (laughs) And who knows what the future may hold, but ultimately, I want people to view engaging with this as entertainment. All right, would you take your two kids to Disney World? Does that cost a few hundred bucks? Great. Will you potentially get that much entertainment out of this or two trips to Disney World? Maybe. Or if you go to a Broadway show, how much does that cost with a few people, right? Or two nice dinners. Are you going to get, or three nice dinners, like, do I think I can deliver that much entertainment for people that will not provide necessarily a financial return? I think that's a healthy way for me to approach this rather than what a lot of people do, which is pump, 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 to the moon! This is going to be amazing! Oh my god! Take out a fourth mortgage, <laughs> sell your car, <laughs> forego your kids' college tuition. This is going to be a, a, a thousand bagger. I don't want to in any way imply that I can predict the future, and certainly I don't think a lot of people could have predicted this past week with with FTX. Some people perhaps had a, a window into the possibilities, but. Very few people who we would assume are tracking the space incredibly closely could have predicted anything like this with any type of precise time frame, right? And I do think there are a bunch of ways that this could be good long-term for a lot of ecosystems that we're all involved with. But the caveats, I would say, sort of lead into, and the hesitations come in a few different forms. On a personal level, I will say that A lot of what was old is now once new again in the sense that people are people human nature is human nature and money is money on some level and therefore we're going to see a lot of the same bad behavior that we saw in the non-digital financial markets before there was regulation or let's just say some degree of competent regulation and there are many forms this bad behavior can take. Let's just say we're going back to before any type of centralized banking, where people were stuffing dollars under mattresses and putting gold bars under their floorboards. What happens? People get robbed, right, as one example. (laughs) And therefore, there's a part of me, and this is probably going to upset a lot of people listening, so I'll ask for forgiveness in advance. But there's definitely part of me that operates along the lines of thinking, you know, would I rather have Amazon see all of my purchase histories or would I rather the entire internet see all of my purchase histories? <laughs> <laughs> right. There's, yes. there's definitely part of me that's more comfortable with Amazon with lots of regulation, lots of internal rules, lots of policy, lots of, I know, internal yet centralized technology having a window into that. And I do know people who have had wrench attacks attempted on them. And for those who don't know, it's a really cheap hack. It's a $5 wrench or a crowbar and using the threat of physical violence or real physical violence or the threat of physical violence against someone you care about to extract, in this case, say crypto or assets that are denominated in crypto. So I am wary on some level of being my own bank. Now, it doesn't mean I will never do it, but... I do think there are some risks that for a lot of people are very abstract and low likelihood. For a lot of people, the likelihood of them getting scammed or having their wallet drained is maybe the same likelihood of having a shark attack, (laughs) right? getting their leg bitten off by a great white. For me or for anyone who's public facing, I think the risk is actually pretty high. And therefore, I'm very, very careful about it. And I do think there will be Decentralized options that are very attractive for some people, and there will be more centralized or maybe sort of medium sized centralized options that are more appealing for others. So, some of my hesitations are from a security standpoint. I mean, when concerns like this go from abstract for a lot of people to real, right? I've had death threats, I've had people come to conferences with guns threatening to kill me, I've had bomb threats. I've had stalkers, I've had to escalate things to the FBI. Once those types of things happen to you and your house is full of guns and so on, (laughs) you just think about security risks a little differently. So those are some of my hesitations. Uh, Beyond that, I would say it's primarily like, look, and this doesn't relate to my project necessarily, but Web3 and DeFi and all these things, crypto in general, from a personal level, I think about security a lot right? Multi-sig, everything you can imagine. And then on the project side, I do not want people with poor impulse control or who have somehow become intoxicated with the space to view this as an investment. I just think that's a terrible, terrible, terrible idea. Doesn't mean it couldn't go up. It might, but there's also a chance the thing goes to zero. I mean, just (laughs) you can't tell in these markets and with so many, not only micro factors, involved but macro factors that even i mean i know a lot of top investors globally including some of the top macro guys in the world it is hard for them to place bets (laughs) right now (laughs) very challenging so ted talk complete thanks for listening
0: no no like that makes sense jim and i kind of get you on the money use case right so i think you know two things you emphasize that crypto hasn't yet solved. One is like on-chain privacy. That's just not trackable and traceable. It really hasn't solved that. So if that's a use case that's important to you, like crypto really hasn't solved that in the money realm. And, And then the other is like, good kind of like smart contract wallet multi-sig so that you are more immune from wrench attack where you have some sort of social recovery that's maybe like a piece of your key is with a lawyer and like, you know, five other people so that it's just like, you can't be wrench attacked, something like this, but we're not there yet either. Yeah, I mean, I think that's coming, but well, you know, the other piece I guess I wanted to talk about though is I really respect and get from a creator's perspective that you are playing the long game and always have. Yeah. And so what I see in you and what I hear in you is you want to over-deliver for your community. Mm-hmm. Anything that Tim Ferriss creates, you want to deliver more value than it costs uh, people, right? Yep. And so that's why you don't want people to lose money. Yep. You don't wanna over-promise things. In fact, what I hear from you often about this project that we're about to talk about in a little bit is a downplay of just like, mm-hmm. this thing could go to zero. Like, yeah. don't buy it. Don't. But let me ask you this question, because yeah. this is key. At some level, Tim, isn't it out of your hands? <laughs> like once this thing goes to market, yeah. that is the thing with DeFi. That's the feature and the good and the bad, which is like, Tim Ferriss can say all day, you know, Tim Ferriss is tweeting, this NFT is overvalued. Don't buy it. This is absolutely ludicrous. These prices don't believe me. And then somebody goes and is like, oh. Tim's downplaying it. That makes me so bullish right now. And they like bid up the price higher. Like, How do you control for that?
1: Tim said the word buy.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I'm bullish. Don't buy this. What I heard was buy. Yes. It is out of my control. Absolutely. It's 100% out of my control. Uh, Really, all I want to be able to do, what I really, really hope I don't get, and there probably will be some of these where people are like, I just took out this loan or used my last few dollars to buy this JPEG. And I really hope A, B, and C, right? And if it doesn't go well, and I know this is like the anti-sales pitch, but look, I'm trying to create something awesome, to be very clear, right? I think I've already created something that is actually pretty amazing. (laughs) I'm very happy with it and proud of it. But If it doesn't go well and then someone's like, oh my God, my life is in shambles, I want to be able to point back to at least me very publicly saying, do not buy this unless you have 100x the cost of this in your savings, 1,000x the cost of this in your savings, right? Do not buy it at all, period. And do not view it as an investment, period, full stop. I want to be able to point back to me publicly saying that. So that I at least feel like I've done what I can control. And that's just the messaging in the beginning. But yeah, once it goes to market, it's totally out of my hands. I mean, you know, with bots and day traders and whatever, that's like, you know, I know people are gonna come in to trade, but I want to feel like I have been as ethical and moral in how I've presented this thing. At the outset. You want a clean conscience here. Yeah, totally. And to your point, I'm also playing the long game. Yeah. I want to be creating more art for a very, very long time. And for those who don't know me, I mean, I've been in the game for a while now, right? First book came out in 2007. (laughs) Five books. And like you said, the podcast, close to a billion downloads now. 600, 700 episodes. I've lost count. Something like that. So I have been in the game for a while and i plan to be in the game for a long time so we're
1: kind of circling around the details of this drop and i think we'll continue to circle at least for a little (laughs) bit more
2: because i got some more questions i love the t's the (laughs) four plus great and also guys i want to say for you i'm not in a rush Mm -hmm. so we can just keep going absolutely i just want to make that clear because i know my answers have been a little involved no that's great i'm happy to be here this is a long form podcast let's keep going
1: one of the questions i have for you is like well when you commit to making an nft A token is a financial asset. So whether or not like you intend on people like investing in these things, the choice to make a financial asset is a choice. And so we'll kind of unpack what the utility of making these things into tokens unlocks. But we'll kick that one down the road because I still have some other questions I wanna get to. Something you said earlier resonated with me. I want you to unpack it a little bit. NFTs and tokens are really just like form factors. They're just vehicles for expression. And when I see Tim Ferriss, I see a guy who like really wants to express himself. Like, if you look at your body of work, it's a bunch of different books across a variety of spectrums, like optimizations, biomechanics, bioengineering, like workplace, how to work a full job inside of four hours. And that's aside from all the podcasts, cooking. Yeah, Co- right. Cooking. So like, Tim is a super <laughs> creative guy. And that's aside from all like the artistic side, right? The drawing the graphic design. Mm-hmm. And so I've always thought of like NFTs as like these new form factors to help artistic expression, cultural expression output. Yeah, And I'm wondering if that's also what Mm -hmm. you see and how you see NFTs and the intersection of just like cultural expression. Is that what NFTs are doing for you? And is that what you're trying to do with this project?
0: Yeah. And I'm almost curious, like what your NFT portfolio looks like a little bit, like not portfolio. I'm using the wrong word, right? That's a stupid finance word. What does your collection look like?
2: Yeah. Well, let's see. So on the creative expression side of the questions, I would say yes and yes. What's most exciting to me in my circle of friends about NFTs, I mean, there are people who have done extremely well financially, and that's great, but these are generally people who are already doing pretty well financially. (laughs) So (laughs) like you can only eat so many M&Ms. So that's not in and of itself very interesting. What's interesting in my circle of friends is musicians, graphic artists, designers who during COVID through NFTs, were able to make a living and put food on the table and sock away some savings, maybe actually continue to make art even though they had to cancel touring with an ongoing royalty stream from art they were producing. That's interesting. All of a sudden, these folks who had maybe been dominantly in one medium were suddenly creating pieces that were multimedia for the first time, and they were collaborating with people they never would have collaborated with otherwise, meeting people they never would have met otherwise. That is exciting, just from the potential of some type of, Mm -hmm. this is going to be maybe a strong statement, but some type of creative Cambrian explosion of sorts where you have all of these emergent life forms and creative art forms that you couldn't have predicted otherwise or couldn't have predicted period. And then on the collection side of things, I have a, I think, beautiful collection of NFTs and it's mostly inexpensive stuff or moderately priced stuff because I do not trade. I've never sold an NFT. Aside from my own, which... JPEGs? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, they're all JPEGs. JPEGs. Because
1: there's like music NFTs, there's like GIFs, but like JPEGs is mostly... I
2: do have music as well. But in this case, I'm talking about visual, right? Like you can see behind me, like I care about the visual. Like it's arts all over my house. And it's also mostly inexpensive. And the reason for that is, number one, I don't trade. The only NFT I have sold is actually one I've sold through Grails and Kevin Rose, which was my first ever published fiction short story, which was part of the Grails season one. But of my personal collection, I've never sold anything. And I would say a few that come to mind for me that I really have enjoyed. Meridians, I think, are stunning. Some of them, in particular, the ones that have ended up looking something like Chinese watercolor landscape paintings are just, (laughs) I think, mesmerizing. Clonex caught my attention very early and opened my mind and my eyes to what could be potentially done with 3D art. And Meebits prior to that, but I don't own any Meebits. And uh, there are many others. They are almost entirely things that pass a sniff test for me, and this is gonna sound so primitive. (laughs) the sniff test is, would I ever take this and blow it up to several feet by several feet and stick it on a wall in my house where I look at it every day? Would I do that? Yes or no? Pass or fail? And,
1: Tim, uh, do you know that I have a, a five foot by five foot CryptoPunk blown up on my wall
2: <laughs> in my apartment? Oh, that's amazing! <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's a great example. CryptoPunks. I mean, look, Larva Labs, and just from an innovation perspective, and you know, guys who have set trends in motion that were never maybe intended to be trends. Mm-hmm. And holy shit, I mean, they've done amazing, amazing work. So I, you know, I track what they do. But those would be a few examples. It's all stuff that I like to look at. <laughs> <laughs> so it's
0: all visual for you, Tim. You're not like looking at the community or are you like also doing, I don't know, investigation on the artists, like whether you kind of vibe with the artists, or is oh, it, yeah, is yeah, it yeah. purely just yeah, yeah. the visual? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's still, like, I
2: like this thing. I've studied a lot of the artists and have been lucky enough to spend time with uh, people like Tyler Hobbs. I think Fidenzas are fucking gorgeous. I don't know if I'm allowed to curse. Hopefully, I'm from Long Island. I apologize. You can bleep those out this if necessary. This crypto, my friend. I <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, do a yeah. little of that yeah. from time That's to time. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Not the right business to be in if you don't like. <laughs> lots of acronyms and lots of cursing. So uh, uh, I am interested in the artist. I've spent time with a bunch of artists and have gone to now the first and second Marfa Texas meetups hosted by Snowfro and Artblocks and have spent a lot of time with artists. So I I am interested in that, but I'm not primarily, the art has to be good for me, right? I mean, I've designed every one of my book covers outside of Tools of Titans. Like I sketched and hand drew out, I laid out all the specs, of course had a professional, polish it and make it suitable for printing. I'm so, maybe people won't get the reference here, but monkish meaning I'm so OCD with my visual acuity. If I go to somebody's house to have dinner and a, a painting or a, or a photo on the wall is slightly crooked, like I'll get up and I'll correct it. I'm very sensitive. <laughs> I'm very sensitive. You're that guy. I'm that fucking guy. I'm very sensitive. <laughs> so if somebody just takes, you know, a bunch of otter shit and smears it on a wall and sticks like, an LED spinner next to it, and then they have a four-page explanation for why this is art and why people should care about it, I'm not interested. Does that make sense? Like, the visual component has to have something redeeming about it. And that's just my programming. I can't evade that. (laughs) So yes, it matters, but I'm also studying the artist's I'm also studying older artists, like actually that red book, if you can see it right up there, that's a book on Rodin, the famous sculptor who made The Thinker, among other things. And I study a lot of older artists. I have for a long time. I study comic book artists. I mean, I just interviewed Todd McFarlane on my podcast. We did two episodes that, when we're recording this, they haven't yet come out, but childhood hero, amazing comic book artist, Reinvented the Amazing Spider-Man, created Spawn. I mean, the guy's a legend. So I do study all of that, including a lot of Japanese influences too. I've spent a lot of time in Japan. I lived in Japan. I collected Japanese comic books, read and write Japanese, right? So I'm paying attention to all of that. The communities are interesting to me. So I have studied, for instance, Yuga and Board Ape Yacht Club. I don't own any apes. Sadly, missed that boat, but. I find what they're trying to do interesting. I find some of the CC0 stuff interesting. And I've looked at how that has begun to play out in different ways. I find what nouns and nouns down doodles and so on are doing really interesting. But I suppose where I lean is a little closer to the Disney yuga side of things and further away from the CC0, from a creative standpoint.
0: You're talking about like, IP, like licensing, how you view that
2: lens on it? I'm not necessarily talking, I mean, I am talking about IP. Yes, that's a piece of it. But I'm talking more about creative, the core of the, like who decides the core and the kernel of the creative genesis. And I do think that very often, I'm not going to get the attribution on this. I don't know who originally said this, but a camel is a horse designed by committee And you got to be careful with crowdsourcing your creative decisions. You can have feedback and input and pay attention to that, which is something I've done forever, right? A lot of blog posts ultimately led to books from Geek to Freak, which was my first blog post to go super viral. Forgot about that. My thousand plus blog posts that I've put up since 2005 or six. (laughs) Yeah, did those too. But Geek to Freak, that post was the initial market testing and genesis of The 4-Hour Body, which came out in 2010 and became a number one New York Times bestseller. So I pay attention to what people react to and respond to and the feedback, but I think allowing the crowd to dictate your creative decisions is generally a terrible approach.
0: Yeah. So I think of a lot of designers are like this one figure, the archetype stands to mind is like, it's a Steve Jobsian way to kind of design where there is a decision maker. Yeah. And like, if you had tried to design the original iPhone without a Steve Jobs visionary, who's the final decider, it would have just
2: never done anything. Yeah. Yeah, totally, and I'm not. I don't want to compare myself to Steve Jobs. <laughs> That's. I uh, think that would be the pride coming before the fall. But, uh, but don't buy Tim's NFTs. Don't buy them. Don't buy my NFTs. But I will say that I do think, for me, and for a lot of projects, not all, not all, not all, but especially if you're trying to do what I'm doing, which is, and we'll get to this, I'm sure, but you know, what I'm calling an ELF project, an ELF emergent long fiction project. There has to be someone in the driver's seat, right? There has to be, or it just becomes spaghetti. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's just like a narrative made of spaghetti, and it turns into a complete shit show is <laughs> my opinion.
1: yeah, so I think we're starting to get further into the details of this nFt project, so maybe we'll unpack that angle of it just one last time before we actually go oh, into yeah. the
2: details. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not in any rush. What
1: is your role in this project? Are you like the creative director? Are you like the mastermind, the orchestrator? Like how would you describe your role in this project and how many other people are also working on this with you? Are Like how big is this team?
2: Yeah, team is, team is tiny. But just for reference, right? Because let's say a lot of top podcasts out there have teams of 30, 40 people now. And I have- Are you serious? Yes. Yeah, they have huge, huge teams. And they they also build out, and most podcasts now, if they want to compete, I have not done this because I refuse, <laughs> but are becoming television shows. So I know of podcasters who are spending, and these are, I don't think, even top 100 podcasters on Apple rankings, who are spending 5 to $10 million on build out of studios, and they are hiring 10, 20 people at a time to build out. That's not always the case, but I just bring that up to say, I have one full-time employee who works on my podcast. Wow. It's me and this one-time employee. And then we have all contractors. For those people who wonder, does Tim walk the walk of things in the four-hour work week with respect to architecture and lean operations and capital allocation with distributed talent? Yes, I do. I have one full-time employee working on the podcast. I have another part-time, and then I have lots of contractors who are excellent at what they do. So to come back to your question on this, I have one person who is a full-time employee who is allocating a lot of time to this right now and probably will continue to do so. I am spending right now the majority of my time on this and have been for a while, and then I have contractors. And that's it. I'm not building out a startup operations team with a roadmap and a discord and a community manager. I am not doing that. I refuse. I think it's foolish in most cases. I think it's putting the cart before the horse and uploading a lot of cost to mollify loud people on the internet who should not be dictating your business or creative decisions. That's my feeling. And it's unnecessary in most cases. So the team is lean. Who am I in this entire thing? I would say creator, right? So all of the conceptual framework around it, all of the writing so far is from me. The writing that has yet to come out, right? I mean, I've put together quite a bit for myself. <laughs> the maps, I've drawn all the maps myself and they're being put together by someone who's professional. But <laughs> you know, like, this is literally you know, my, my sketchbook that is on my desk, a.k.a. kitchen table. (laughs) Uh, And uh, so I'm the creator, I'm the writer, I am the benevolent dictator, (laughs) and uh, very heavily involved with the artwork. Very, very, very heavily involved with the artwork. But I recognize my own limitations. And for the type of artwork that I've teased already, if people are paying attention, the level of detail is beyond belief. I have not seen anything like it in the space. I mean, I don't think I've seen anything like it period, maybe outside of some animated features, not to say these are animated, but just the depth of detail on 3D figures that are going to be presented in the NFTs is two dimensions. I have not seen anything like it. So very involved with that. I mean, twice weekly art reviews providing references and direction, indicating the types of weapons and armors that should and should not be included with different clans or greater houses. (laughs) It's become very elaborate. (laughs) It's very, 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 very elaborate, which I'm excited about and I'm having a lot of fun with. So since this is giving me so much energy, I'm going to turn around and pour that energy right back into it. So the word world building definitely
1: comes to mind. I don't think very many yep. NFT projects have ingredients that require a significant amount of writing, for example. That's like yeah. a, a new element that I, I don't see many yeah. NFT projects have. It's a lot of uh, a lot of fucking so, work. Right. Yes. Yeah. There yeah. It's not just like, oh, let me like have a bunch of attributes and slap them and see if the combinations work. It's uh there's like a whole universe that it seems like you're creating. Yes. When or what inspired you To do this, because like, Tim, you're a busy guy. There are a variety of choices of time well spent that you could choose, but yet you seem to be, this kind of seems like it's like living in your brain rent free, and you're going to do this thing until it doesn't do that anymore. When did this idea come to you, and why have you decided to spend so much time here?
2: I'd say the The original sparks and seeds were more than a year ago. I'd say maybe 14 months ago, if I'm looking at the timing. Yeah, 14 or 15 months ago. (laughs) So a while and it just kind of spun out of control from there, and it got so ridiculous, and all of these ideas were constantly popping up and preventing me from going to sleep, and I thought, you know, this doesn't happen to me that often. Maybe I should pay attention to this, as completely absurd as it seems, and at least start putting things down on paper, ideas, sketches, so that in case it goes somewhere, at least I have a little bit of momentum. And then when I started to expand the scope of my imagination and ambition a little bit, and I thought, all right, how could I make this more dynamic? How could I make this a lot more interesting and engaging? How can I create different warring clans and houses that have various alliances and intertwined histories and long standing conflicts and different degrees of access to various natural resources, for instance, different types of expertise, different religions, different belief systems, (laughs) different? systems of magic, I think they'll probably be soft systems and not hard systems for you Brandon Sanderson fans out there. (laughs) It just got fucking crazy. And then it just grew and grew and grew and grew. And I was like, okay, I'm getting so much energy from this and quite honestly, the last year and a half was incredibly difficult for me. Incredibly difficult. And I just seem to be getting (laughs) Cockpunched over and over again, (laughs) where we'd have like people, you know, people dying literally who I know, and then like a five year relationship ending and like just crazy things happening. Uh, Lost a ton of money with this FTX stuff recently. I mean, just like hit after hit after hit after hit. And I was like, you know what? Maybe as one musician once said to me, like, take the pain and wear it like a shirt. Amanda Palmer it was. So somebody called her Amanda fucking Palmer over and over again. So she took it and she literally put Amanda fucking Palmer on the shirt (laughs) and started asking people to call her that. And I was like, that's very clever. You're like taking the thing that hurts and turning it around into something that gives you energy. So this project in a way became that in part because I realized also it was a hand in glove fit with what I was thinking about anyway. (laughs) And uh, so... Uh, yeah, that's the, uh, long story long of how a lot of this came together. And then I would say for the last six months, especially like this has been what I spend the majority of my time on. It's kind of, I mean, I have to laugh thinking about the whole thing, but I can't really help myself because it is what's giving me the most energy. And if I do the thing that gives me the most energy, that transfers to everything else. Yeah, I'm having a lot of fun. So until that changes, I'll keep going.
0: (laughs) So Tim, what piece of it especially is giving you energy, right? It's like, I think of different world builders, right? You think of kind of like a Tolkien, for example, classically, and he he like, I mean, Mm -hmm. the guy created languages before he even wrote yeah, five, kind of five favorite, or six. Five or six yeah. languages, right? That's like world building extraordinaire and
2: the. Which have- I've also studied just as a. Side okay, note. so this is great. So, like, is the it. Glossopia, I think it is called, the creation of languages. Yeah. So, what piece of this is most exciting for you? Is
0: it because I know there's an art component, there's a world-building component. You called this ELF, and remind us again what that stands for. There's like this fiction component.
2: Emergent long fiction project. Okay, so say that. Because this isn't a PFP. This is not a PFP project. And Uh,
0: emergent implies that it's not here 100% all of the way. Like it's going to kind of emerge over time, and long form, of course, is like long-term, and then it's fiction, so it's clearly fiction. So long
2: form means higher volume than most projects are willing to put into writing. Mm -hmm. Okay. So it's more a volume thing than a duration thing. But the way I've been thinking about it, let me answer your first question first. What's most exciting about me? I am able to take something that I've loved my whole life, which is art, specifically creating art, not just looking at art, making art. And if people go back on my Instagram long enough, you can see some of that. And resurrecting that giving the, the the fuel necessary to let the phoenix rise from the ashes of this thing that I discarded in a way after college because it seemed not grown up enough. Right, Like, okay, now I need to get a job and make money and do this thing and drawing. Eh, like it was fun, but it's not really helping me go to where I need to go next. So let me put it to the side. And then I put it to the side and have really not picked it up much since then because I don't have real accountability, even if I have a teacher, which I've done in several cases, I don't really have timelines or deadlines. That changes once you have a project to launch. Now you have a team, now you have deadlines, now you have Slack, now you have calendar reminders. And that forces me to engage with art, which is great. So those are some productive constraints that I've applied. That also then applies to something I've explored a little bit in the last year or two and have loved and really want to explore more, but it's hard to create the time or justify creating the time if it's just a side hobby, and that is fiction, that is world building. I've always been a huge Fantasy and sci-fi nerd. I still have all of my materials from my D and D days as a kid. I mean, I literally have—I don't know—hundreds of modules that I spent all my allowance and <laughs> you know, like part-time busboy work money on. And uh, read classics. Neverending Story it was my favorite book as a kid. Love Tolkien. Love Ursula K. Le Guin. Wizard of Oz. Go read it if you haven't read it and dozens of others, right? Philip Pullman, to use a more kind of contemporary example. Incredible. And if you want sci-fi, I'm not doing sci-fi, just to be clear, but go get Exhalation, which is a short story collection by Ted Chiang, or his previous collection, one of the short stories from which was made into, or adapted into Arrival, one of the, I think, greatest sci-fi movies of the last five to 10 years. Okay, so, I wanted to do fiction and this gave me the incentive and the deadlines and the accountability to write a bunch of fiction and to get better at it. You don't get better unless you're practicing. And I have gotten better, I've gotten a lot better just in the process of putting this stuff together. And the world building and the fiction is exciting to me for what reasons? The first is because I get to surprise myself, and this will lead into your question about ELF and why emergent is important. With fiction, I get to surprise myself. With nonfiction, right, five books, they're huge. I mean, you guys know, because I showed you before we started recording, I needed to elevate my mic, so I just stuck two books under it, uh, two books of mine, each of which is like six to 700 pages long. It's a lot of hard work, but there are very, very few surprises. I outline these books meticulously. I have a blueprint. I execute to plan. And there are surprises for the reader, but there are very few surprises for me. It's mostly bricklaying. And that's great, but I prefer to try something new. And in fiction, there are many ways to write fiction, and I'm still learning this, right? I am a novice, although I'm very happy with what's come (laughs) come out of my brain so far with enough caffeine and maybe the occasional glass or two of wine. (laughs) But with fiction, there are a lot of ways you can approach it. Some people spec everything out in advance. With this, I wanted to set some initial conditions, characters, clans, conditions meaning landscape, territory, constraints, and then to start writing and see what happens. And that's what I'm doing. So it would be akin to, let's just say, taking a trip to Europe with five friends. And you decide on a few things in advance. It's gonna be the five of us. We're gonna land in Spain and we're gonna walk to the East. There are some constraints, no flights allowed. And people can fall from the group or be added, but it can never exceed 10 people, let's just say. And so on and so forth. And then you just set out and you see what adventures and misadventures develop. That's what I'm going to be doing with the writing. The long fiction comes in because I want to set a quantified bar that prevents people from casually using this label when they are not putting in the requisite work. What does that mean? I thought a lot about this, and I may have some more rules that I set for myself related to this, so it'll develop over time. So it's the e-elf emergent, emergent long fiction. But so uh, the long fiction to me right now means, if you look at most say anthologies that collect short stories, and there are many of them, most short stories, not all, there are some exceptions, but will not exceed 5,000 to 10,000 words So what I decide to do then is say, all right, if 10,000 words is the cutoff for short story, that's the beginning, that is the starting point for long fiction. So if you are going to have an emergent long fiction project, that means you have put in the work before you launch to have 10,000 words minimum of polished prose. That means you cannot say, this is an emergent long fiction project. This is an L fiction project. And you throw up one page of half-assed lore on your website and then say, the rest (laughs) is coming later. That doesn't work. Now, to be clear, that doesn't mean that in my case, I'm going to be putting out all 10,000 words that I have immediately, right? So there's a little bit of wiggle room here, but I do have that much done. And we'll see where it goes. I'm definitely not promising that I'm going to be writing, you know, the next Game of Thrones (laughs) series or anything like that. It's almost certainly not going to have an output like a novel. It's going to be very, very different. And what happens at launch and what happens over that opening month will inform a lot of the decisions I make. How do people engage with the Easter eggs and the mysteries and the weird bits that are already baked in and they are already baked in? (laughs) how do they engage with that? What do they find? What do they not find? What's too confusing? What isn't confusing enough, right? What is, which clans develop the most incredible communities, right? Do people actually gather around this, this clan identification? If so, what happens? And so on and so forth. That will inform the emergent properties of this long fiction, which is absolutely an attempt at coherent, world building.
0: David, I don't know about you, but I feel
1: sufficiently teased (laughs) at this point. (laughs) The conversation. (laughs) So yeah, we're 55 minutes into this podcast. I don't think we can go any further without the Bankless Nation starting to get mad at us. is your secure, multi-chain on-ramp into Web3, and it's built directly into the Brave privacy browser. Gone are the days of managing multiple wallet extensions that put you at risk of phishing, spoofs, and tracking. With the Brave wallet, you can securely manage your crypto assets across more than 100 different chains including Ethereum, Layer 2s, Solana, and more, all without downloading risky extensions. The Brave Wallet is easy to set up and removes the headache of jumping between wallets and extensions. It's lightweight, but packed with great features, like built-in token swaps, buying and holding NFTs with a gallery view, and support for hardware wallets. But also much more than that, because Brave is shipping new features every single month, with a mission to make Web3 easier to navigate for its over 55 million users. Wallet extensions are a thing of the past. So get started with Brave's Web3 Ready browser today and experience a decentralized web seamlessly without all the clutter. You can download the browser at brave.com bankless and click the wallet icon to get started. The reality today is that five corporations control the entire world of social media. They own our names, they restrict our content, they monitor our every move, and their time is up. Thanks to our sponsor, DSO. DSO is a layer one blockchain built from the ground up to decentralize and scale social networks. With DSO, you can own your own identity, content and social graph and take it with you across hundreds of applications already built on the censorship resistant DSO blockchain. DSO's storage advantages make it finally possible to build infinite state applications Applications that can efficiently store and index large amounts of content and data fully on chain. DSO also offers multiple crypto native monetization primitives for developers and creators, including social NFTs, social DAOs, social tokens, and social tipping. So, in order to experience the social layer of Web3, go to DESO.com and claim your username. That's D E S O.com. Tim, what the hell is it? All right. What's going on? All right.
2: So, uh,. <laughs> <laughs> this makes me laugh first of all can, yeah, makes me laugh can we start with the name it. yeah we can you know and it just it's like the, like me cracking up just mm-hmm. like thinking about how to present this is part of the right. reason why i'm doing this right like <laughs> it's like oh dude I'm, we're already I'm thinking so, through like I'm, the i'm so childish but it's no it's, we're thinking through the episode title oh, like, what yeah. should we call this yeah, thing, oh, yeah, actually uh-huh. oh yeah like how, f- so how full frontal do you want it to be so so, <laughs> the, <can> be- <laughs> so the name of this project is cock punch? And <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> yes, it is. The name of the project
1: is <laughs> wait, cock wait, punch. wait.
0: Cock as in rooster, kids. All right, or like yes. adults. Uh, hopefully, if you're listening, just sure. cock as in rooster for the rest. Cock of Cock as stuff. in
2: rooster punch. Of so the name is cock punch, and I I do have cockpunch.com and at cockpunch on Twitter, and these are going to be very important. So the name of the project is cock punch. The full name is the Legend of Cock Punch. <laughs> And all of the known characters who inhabit this realm are roosters. And they're anthropomorphized roosters. There are eight greater houses, as I mentioned. So the roosters are the NFTs. The roosters are the NFTs. okay, And uh, And the cocks. The cocks. Yes, Yes, and the cocks. And there is... I won't give away too much because this is going to come out in the podcast. So we haven't talked about that. I am launching a new podcast. <laughs> the,
1: the Cock Punch podcast. will be
2: called Cock Punch, <laughs> possibly the legend of Cock Punch. And I have already hired voice actors, very good voice actors, to act as the narrators for the reading of the histories and uh, the bits and pieces of mysteries and so on that will be put out as podcast episodes. Wow. All right, so why is it called Cockpunch? That's a great question,
1: I'm glad you asked. (laughs) Great question and fair question.
2: (laughs) It's called Cockpunch because at one point in the realm's history, there was a warring states period. And there's a lot before and there's a lot after. But the important piece that I'll disclose here is that there was a warring states period where civil strife ruled. And it was chaos from all four corners of this realm to the center. And then there was a means of peacekeeping devised and agreed upon, which was similar to the Olympics for humans, in the sense that the Olympics are effectively geopolitics and warfare by other means. And nations attempt to exert and prove supremacy through athletes. So now in this realm, there is a what's called uh, FTZ, or the Free Trade Zone. And that is a demilitarized zone within which there is an arena. And in this arena, you have one-on-one battles. And the battles include combatants from these eight-grader houses who have proven their mettle through qualifying rounds of competitions in these various territories owned by the eight-grader houses. Wait. Are we cockfighting? Well, we're cockpunching and cockfighting. Right. Cockpunching. So, yeah, yeah. So you have, I mean, they could be cockfighting, yes. So you have in this huge arena, imagine a sports arena where you could have like 100,000 mm-hmm. spectators. You have two cock punchers march out much like they would at like a WWE event. Right, right. and Coliseum type thing. Yeah. Coliseum, and they meet in the middle on an elevated platform. And each of them have a gauntlet like a power gauntlet on one arm Hmm. as one does and and they punch the shit out of each other and they have and they have different (laughs) strategies they have different strengths they have different weaknesses they have different capacities sorry are these are all attributes in the NFT like strengths weaknesses attributes is that what they are? no they're not all embedded in the NFT okay Uh, so the visual components are and the traits are and there are a lot of traits I think we have close to 300 traits it's absurd how much time I've put into this and I mean I've gone through every single one (laughs) (laughs) not just on the visual piece, but also on the naming conventions and everything. So they fight, and the narrative is going to be what bolsters all of this with some of these additional details that I'm mentioning later, right? So people have to pay attention. And part of the reason that I hope people will pay attention is that, yes, if you are a trader and a speculator, and uh, no judgment there, that's fair game, as long as you're not a complete dick on the internet, I have zero tolerance for that. Like, If you're just playing the game and you're playing the financial game, that's fine. Although I will probably exclude marketplaces that push to zero, and I will probably make it explicit that anyone who tries to circumvent secondaries, I reserve the right to block completely from anything I do and any including any future projects, to the extent that I can. right? I, and if anyone's an asshole, <laughs> I'm just gonna block them uh, in every way conceivably possible. I think that one of the cultural norms, and I do think a culture is whatever, uh, let's see, a culture is whatever the whatever the worst behavior is that you'll accept. And <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing Atul Gawande, but uh, I really want this community to be fun and supportive and not what you experience day-to-day on Twitter, if possible. And I will enforce that. However, if you are trading, one thing I wanna make explicit is that yes, I'm sure that some value will be attributed to rarity traits and people will sort by that as quickly as possible. But what happens then if, say, I take some not extremely rare traits but I tie them into the narrative in some way that makes them very valuable. What happens then? I don't know. Never seen it done. (laughs) So uh, I'm curious to see if I decide to do such a thing, what happens? Like what happens in the activity?
1: So Tim, I'm kind of confused here. Um, Is this like, because you said there's a bunch of lore, you've written a ton of words to go with this universe. Yeah. There are these things that happen. There are these cocks that punch each other. So say I'm a user, I've bought uh, a cock puncher. That's Co- the thing I- you buy, right? Is the, yeah, yeah, you buy yeah, the yes, cock, the you buy
0: the rooster. Yeah, you buy the rooster. Yes. It, you buy it doesn't the cock. have traits, but that's the art piece, right? That's the NFT piece. Well, here. it does have traits,
2: just to be clear. Okay. Like there mm-hmm. are weapons, there are sure. attributes that will have varying degrees of rarity, uh-huh. but it would not have, it would not indicate in the NFT what say the defensive capacity is okay. of your particular character. That is going to be decided by yours truly in some fictional narrative way,
1: okay. So, like, am I as an NFT cock holder? Am I going to Hashtag cock am I going to a website and like my NFT shows up and then it walks into like the Coliseum and then it fights? No. Like, no, this, what's, this how is, do I how do I receive this story as a user? Podcast,
2: yeah, you receive the story through the podcast. Which will also be published as text, probably on my on Tim.blog, which okay. for a long time was one of the most popular blogs in the world. It may still be. I mean, people have forgotten about blogs, but they're still a thing. Uh, so probably will be published in text there. And which, by the way, will mean I'm not just preaching to the choir, right? Like what I'm doing is going to be routinely. Exposed to the mainstream, <laughs> which I which gives just makes me laugh all the more. Uh, but the, to be very clear, I'm not saying I've built a metaverse and you go to this place right. and you authenticate <laughs> and you log in and suddenly like you throw on your Oculus and you're suddenly in the head of your cock and you go out and you fight. <laughs> no, 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 no. None of that. None of that. Okay, None but how it. do I'm, I see what? Hold on, hold on, hold okay. on, hold on, hold on. Let me, let me. I am going to ask lazy fuckers out there to use the most incredibly powerful imaginative computer on on the planet, and that is in between their two ears. It's going to be very old-fashioned, but guess what? You're going to have to visualize a lot of this, folks, and it's going to be fucking awesome. (laughs) It's old-fashioned, right? It's not like... Pornhub plus holograms plus NFT JPEGs. It's not that that engaging from like an immediate dopamine, like OCD, ADHD perspective, Mm -hmm. but I'm putting in the heavy lifting so that it will engage the thing between your ears a lot more. So that is the plan. And look, I mean, if I'm not comparing myself to any of these people, but it's like there's a lot of power between those ears. Right? If you look at what Harry Potter did, what Game of Thrones has done, what certain cartoons have done, right, what certain comic strips have done, what certain comic books have done, you don't need automatically a lot of bells and whistles. It
0: starts with the lore. I mean, that's where it starts with a good story.
2: It starts with the writing. It starts with the writing.
1: Okay, but as an NFT holder, like, will my cock be able to punch Ryan's. Like, is that something
0: uh, that can happen in this In universe? your mind, in your brain, it
2: will, David. But as an so event I, I, on Ethereum. Yeah. As an event on Ethereum, TBD. Okay. Again, you know how I'm so tentatively wading into these waters. I don't want anyone to buy a cock, to buy a cock puncher thinking Tim's talking about this amazing roadmap on Bankless. Therefore, <laughs> like my kids' college fund can wait because I'm gonna 10x this <laughs> I'm, with Cockpunch. It's called Cockpunch, people. Just to be clear, like if you're not <laughs> not getting the transmission, all right. So just keep that in mind. You should be but, ashamed of buying it. What are you even yeah, thinking? <laughs> you should be. You should be. If you get one. Okay, don't buy one of these things unless you're giggling like a fucking idiot like we are. Oh, <laughs> if, I am. <laughs> because, be, no, no, because Because that means maybe, maybe there's a chance that whatever you spend, you'll get back in the entertainment and the giggles and the soul-enriching chuckles along the way, okay? So I'll just say that. The event piece, it is something I am thinking about, I've been thinking about, I've tracked a lot of projects who have done this with on-chain dynamics, or mechanics, rather. Uh, My rule of thumb with this is whenever possible, make it simpler. Make it simple. Make it simple. Make it simple. I have seen what I consider otherwise very interesting projects bury themselves in complicated mechanics and confuse the shit out of anyone who's trying to buy or use their (laughs) NFTs. I don't want to do that. My hope is that I can do some very interesting stuff, but I'm not trying to reinvent the wheel with my smart contract. It's not gonna be, I know I'm using a lot of quotes here, but one guiding light I've also used is a quote that I got from Morgan Spurlock, the documentary filmmaker who did Supersize Me and Inside Man, great show by the way. And he said, once you get fancy, fancy gets broken. And that's with gear in the field for videography. I agree with that with everything. And so will there be at some point the possibility of david your cock puncher attacking Ryan's cock puncher and having him f- fend you know defend himself parry and return maybe some incredible magically powered boot to your balls and send <laughs> your cock flipping over backwards <laughs> never say never tim i feel like All i'm right? getting pumped. never the say possibilities though <laughs> yeah, You're not getting punked. This is where the emergent comes in. I do not want to lock myself into anything because what I have found so far, even in the development of this project, if I had tried to internally set a creative roadmap for this, I would have screwed this whole thing up. I would have screwed the whole thing up. I do think there's a non-zero chance that people will be able to fight or compete at some point, but I'm not promising that.
0: All right, so Tim, can you give us um, a tease here, yeah. tease of the
2: cocks. Oh my God! Don't say, say that. I'm not going <laughs> to got, say it. You got. You got to say it. You got to say it. Can you give us a this little? socks? So, so, <laughs> <I> can't do <laughs> <a little laughs> No, no, a rooster yeah. tease.
0: Okay, a rooster yeah, tease. Yeah. No, no, you, that's, of the artwork.
2: So, so, I want to see some art. So I just want to say, from the get go, I didn't even tell Kevin the name of this project <laughs> because, like, the mimetic potential energy in the name cockpunch mm-hmm. is fucking irresistible. Like <laughs> I knew that it was just, <laughs> just gonna unleash a tsunami right. of childish behavior that would make me laugh <laughs> and would make other people laugh and would, would just suddenly cause this proliferation of things like cock tease. For instance, just as an example, I blocked someone from the at cockpunch account today. I only have come across one troll, which is pretty astonishing. Given that, you know, the sandboxes that I'm playing in right now. And I was like, you know what? He just got cock blocked. And, <laughs> and, and there are just so many options for incredible memes. So yes, cocktees. What type all right, yeah. So I don't know how I will best share some of this, but I can show it to you on my phone. If you have anything that we can show
0: on screen too, like we can have sure editors, yeah. Like, I can in it I can, I can, send, I can send it to
1: us after the fact. Yeah. Because
0: these are like I just want people we're not talking about your average-looking rooster here. No, we're not. Right. So like, can't
2: even tell,
1: like, I'm thinking of a cartoon rooster with a big Thanos like glove. Gauntlet. Yep. So so let me gauntlet, show you. Yeah.
2: I'll show you I, this will be hard to see, but I'll show you some things. So we'll
1: take the JPEG and put it
2: on yeah, screen. Yeah, yeah. So I'm gonna show you a couple of teasers are we looking at pictures of tim yeah. cock on his <laughs> are <road>? these cockpits <laughs> no so, tim's sure stick so we got like we got these right which are uh, various uh-huh. teasers and what's important to note about these i know it's hard to see is that what's incredible about these oh man the, re- the oh i don't want to be kicked by yeah the those. resolution those are frog feet this rotates Wow. Uh, That's a mask. That's a wolf mask. This is way more uh, 3D than I thought it would be. Yeah, It is very 3D. So this is a gauntlet that will probably- Yeah, I don't want to be punched by that. Wow. No, which will probably, or shot by it. This is a dachi, which is a uh, Mm -hmm. type of Japanese sword uh, that will be involved. And I'll show you another one. I'll show you, say, an archetype of one. So one of the spellcasting clans will have this kind of look.
0: Wow. You have, like, and mages? Like, there's going to be
2: cock mages? We do have mages. Wow. We have cock mages. <laughs> and, and so all of the teasers I just showed you...
1: I want to be a cock mage. <laughs>
2: <laughs> who doesn't want to be a cock mage? So... <laughs> it'll be you, at the end of this conversation. It'll be pretty funny when you get a transcript. Just to, in the intro, you could say, "Be forewarned." We did a search on the transcript, and we do say "cock" seven, but it only times. means rooster. But, <laughs> but for people are
0: very clear. It yes. only means rooster. It only
2: means rooster. So, so those teasers that I showed you, I'll give you a peek behind the curtain here, which gets me very excited. Mm. Those were all generated by moving cameras and lighting within 3D modeling software with the 3D files, Mm. every one of these NFTs will ultimately have a 3D file available, and you'll be able to rotate 360 degrees around your character. All of those teases, which I think look incredible, I mean, they look cinematic, were made simply by taking something that could be a random generation and moving cameras and lighting around, Mm. like doing a photo shoot basically with a 3D character. That is so cool. So it's very involved. And I want to be very upfront in saying the 3D files are huge. They're like, a lot of them are one to two gigabytes. So those will probably not be available for at least two to four weeks after Mint. It's just too gigantic. And we also think about this, we're not just looking at identifying, say, clipping issues with generations in 2D. When we need to do quality assurance on a 3D file. We need to look at it from 360 degrees horizontally and from the top and possibly from the bottom. So it's really, really labor intensive.
1: I love how like the first half of this podcast was like Tim Ferriss, like he's this multidisciplinary guy. (laughs) He's got this idea. He's like doing this long form lore world building. (laughs) He's putting so much effort into it. It's called cock punch. <laughs> <laughs>
2: oh, yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: So, like, what does owning one of these NFTs unlock for me
2: as an owner? Yeah, what it unlocks for you is this. You get a very amusing and pretty JPEG. Although, ultimately, there will be these larger files. So, it's not exclusively JPEGs. Mm-hmm. But you get this NFT... And it gives you skin in the game to be invested in and engaging with a very, I hope, entertaining experiment in real world fantasy world building where you can interact okay. with the community.
1: So it's a, I can express my interest in this world. And as like, if I'm hearing this podcast, reading this world, I can imagine my cock <laughs>
2: <laughs> running yeah. out. <down> and, <laughs> and, and, th- and look, there may be more stuff later. I don't know, okay. but I do not want to be one of those people who's like, this is a utility NFT and you're going to unlock this and this and here's the 12-month roadmap. Sure. I don't want to be that guy, so I'm not going to be that guy.
1: It's just a visual representation.
2: It's a visual representation and TBD, if anything else, but the artwork, I think, is... I think it is more. It is more detailed than anything I've seen in the space. It is more detailed than a lot of what I've seen coming out of major animation houses. Mm. It is mm. incredibly detailed, and it's a great cockwork. It's a great cockwork, and we're paying. Or I say we. I'm using the royal <laughs> we. I'm. I mean, the amount of time I've spent on the writing is just stupid. Like, it's unbelievable how much time <laughs> I've spent on writing. And I. And it's all you've written. All of I've it. Written Sam, all of it. Right? And I've, editors, I've, I've, I've all written all You've had editors. I've I've written all of favorite. it. I've had proofreaders. And I've taken like it's gotten in areas. It gets so serious, which is so funny. <laughs> right. We're talking <laughs> about like adoption of orphans and education and like tithing to churches and like deeply. Uh, well, in some cases, I mean, yeah, I'm hoping what will be like highly developed mythologies and religious systems and magic systems, and it's like I have to, and then at the end of the day, I'm like, this is all for something called cockpunch. <laughs> but have, you know what? And I have to have a tequila and just be like, that's awesome. That is kind of awesome that I have done so many things in my life, and they've all they've all come together in this defining moment of creating something called Cockpunch, but I forgot to mention something very important. And that is part of the reason I did this also is that I've spent the last uh, five to eight years pioneering support of early stage science in psychedelic therapeutics and mental health research for conditions that are conventionally very hard to treat or impossible to treat practically like complex PTSD and war veterans and victims of sexual abuse, like treatment-resistant depression. Trauma, And many, many other, yes, different types of trauma. And that was initially started because I have a history of both abuse in my childhood and then uh, recurrent major depressive disorder slash treatment-resistant depression. And I started a foundation called Saisei Foundation, S-A-I-S-E-I, SaiseiFoundation.org, to fund these types of initiatives, and it's funded a lot of firsts, a lot of groundbreaking firsts, and people can see them on SaiseiFoundation.org. All of the primary sales from this are going to the foundation. 100% of the primary sales are getting donated straight to the foundation. And that's not because I expect people to do this out of the goodness of their heart or anything like that, but my driver for this in part was to create a, an unconventional way to raise funds on a very creative level for Psyche Foundation. And in fact, when I was fundraising for the Johns Hopkins Medicine Psychedelic Research Center, which was the first ever established in the United States, which is a very big deal, ended up having, I think, oh, practically a full page in the New York Times, and it was one of the headlines at the bottom of the New York Times, This was quite a few years ago. So it was a huge groundbreaking event for that entire space. When that happened, I was trying at one point to put together an auction of physical contemporary art to do an auction, which would be something, well, ultimately I then was like, well, maybe I can do it with NFTs, but it's too early, it's too hard. Maybe something digital. So I was thinking, well, we could do something like crypto for consciousness. But initially it was intended to be conventional contemporary art. And it was just too difficult because A, turns out artists hate doing that generally. (laughs) Their agents aren't excited because they're not making anything. And it's really difficult, but I spent a lot of time on that. I met with gallerists, I met with artists, I tried to make it work and I just couldn't get it to work. So in fact, that has been a seed in my head for a very long time. How can we use unconventional means and ideally now with... NFTs, blockchain, or other technologies, I'm agnostic, to raise money for a foundation like this. And what's really exciting to me also, because let's be honest, dealing with, say, graphic stories of abuse and trauma and end-of-life anxiety and people with terminal diagnoses and so on, which is a lot of what I'm dealing with day-to-day through the foundation, gets really heavy and really dark sometimes, and it can be depleting. And so I've worried at times about my endurance to continue to do that work because it can be so overwhelming. With this, I mean, cock punch for fuck's sake. I'm doing something that is completely absurd. It's fun. It's scratching every creative itch that I have. And it's giving me tons of energy and raising money for SciSafe Foundation and recharging my batteries in a way that I can do the serious work, but not always in a serious way. So that's also a, a main driver behind the whole thing. Uh, that's super cool. This checks a lot of boxes
0: then in like in kind of your personal journey to you. And okay, so uh, SciSafe Foundation that you just described. Mm-hmm. So its some percentage of the minting of
2: the- 100% punch? of the primary sales. 100% of the primary sales. Yeah, 100%. Go to SciSafe. Like any dollar, that flows out of the mint in the primary sales, right? Secondary is is a separate thing. I'm going to figure that out because I'm I'm like you know it's like it's heavy six figures into cock punch, and I'd like to actually <laughs> not be totally in the red if it's possible. Break so I'm gonna, like I'd like to use uh, you know secondaries to to try to to cover a lot of that, but the primary sales. Which I'm hoping will be decent. We'll see in today's market conditions. But that is intended to go entirely 100% to Size Foundation. It's not, well, it is a percentage. It just happens to be 100%. And for people who might be wondering, Size Foundation is not a foundation that just holds money and kind of lets it marinate and deploys the minimum necessary of 5% per year. Like it's generally deploying like 50% or more per year. And what that means is when this money flows in, it's not just going to sit there. It's going to get deployed very quickly. I mean, probably within 12 months, I'd say all of that will get deployed.
0: So Tim, I know at the time of recording, we are a short time away from the launch yes. of Cock Punch, right? Yes. I don't think you're ready to announce dates, at least if you do a- announce dates between the time we record and the time we wanna publish this, Dave and I might talk about it a little bit in the intro, Yeah. but are there any other details? like? coming soon sort of thing. I don't know if we're weeks to months away. And then like, are there any details around the kind of the numbers or the mint price at the early stage or anything you can share?
2: Yeah, you know, I'll. uh, and I'm sure that my advisor would advise against this. On the mint price side, I will say that this world gets so complex when you start to dig. And the game theory and the economics and the sort of auction mechanics and psychological components, everything, currency prices, for God's sake, right? I mean, when we're talking about different types of crypto and macro events, all of these things should inform how you make certain decisions, I think. Creative is number one. However, as things are in this market, you want to do whatever you can feasibly within your control to try to sell out. And I'll try to do that. I'm not overly concerned about it. It's not going to stop me from doing what I've told you about with the fiction and everything. But I'll tell you this, the supply will be less than 10,000. I haven't decided how much less, but it'll be less than 10,000. The mint price, because at the end of the day, I want to raise money for the foundation and I don't expect everyone or anyone to really care about that, but that's one of my main reasons for doing this. So I'm not gonna do it at some giveaway price. Uh, I also think that a lot of the decisions made by creators in this world are very fear-based and they let the mob Mm. make decisions for them. And I don't think that's actually a great way to (laughs) create projects or live your life, and they do, by the way, bleed over. If you start doing that in one area, it's gonna bleed over into the rest of your life, so just be aware of letting that in the door. So for mint price, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts, actually. I've been thinking about somewhere between 0.25 and 0.5 there is a lot of downward pressure for people to just go lower, 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 lower because they're terrified of not succeeding, but they haven't defined success very clearly for themselves. For me, it's really clear. It's right, like, I want to raise at least a million bucks because I already have projects I want to fund through SciSafe Foundation that are at least a million bucks. And I don't think at today's prices, for, if people are looking at it as entertainment, and they're like, eh, could I justify like trading a couple of expensive meals for this or a trip to Disneyland or two trips to Disneyland or going to a Broadway show with a few friends or whatever, right? Then I'm like, I don't think it's totally insane. But I would be curious to hear your thoughts. I mean, I'm leaning towards between 0.25 and 0.5. What are your thoughts? I think there's two variables to pay attention to. It's kind of hard
1: to talk about a mint price without talking about a total supply. Supply. Yeah. So if we just use the anchor of 10,000, And you can tinker with that number and you can address the mint price accordingly. 0.25 to 0.5 is expensive, but it does change things that you're donating all the money. Some thought about like NFT drops is that like if you drop the mint at like one ETH, Like you're taking away room for upside from the token holders, right? Because if it goes from 0.25 up to 5 ETH as a floor price, then that's a huge gain. If it goes from 1 to 5 ETH, that's only a 5X. If you drop it at 2.5 ETH and it doesn't really have too much room to grow, like some people consider I intend to make my community wealthy and they give up that upside by lowering the mint price. Yep. If you are just trying to maximize inflows into this charity, this very normal organization, then like maybe that doesn't really impact you. But I think it, the variable is like, how much ROI do you intend on having your purchasers? And I'm gathered that you don't really actually want to encourage that behavior. So it's something to consider. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I would say, and then Ryan, I'd love to hear your two cents too. So here, here's what I would say. My intention is not to crater things. <laughs> Let's be clear, right? Mm. <laughs> like, I would prefer that people not lose money. <laughs> but I'm absolutely not stupid enough to guarantee that they're going to make money, because that's crazy. And if anybody promises that to you, they are delusional or a liar or both. So don't believe the hype. And all things being equal, everything you said makes a lot of sense, but I am also a firm believer. For instance, none of my books have ever gone to paperback Mm. or softcover. Mm. People may not realize that. Why is that? (laughs) Because I feel like I put so much effort and time into creating a quality product, I'm not gonna cut the price by a few dollars and have my royalties cut in half Mm. so that I have to sell twice as many to make the same amount of money. It makes no sense to me. And in the case of books, if you want something cheaper, just buy a Kindle. Right. But these are certain economic decisions. Or with, say, Todd McFarlane, the comic artist I mentioned, who makes some of the most detailed toys on the market. And everyone was selling at $5.99, and he decided to sell at $6.99. And they are like, you can't do that. And he said, well, if you're making something that's worth five ninety nine dollars and then you charge $6.99, I agree. But he said, if you're making something worth $7.99, and you charge $6.99, I think it works. And that's what he was doing. And it did work. So just not to imply I'm I'm selling something that is going to be worth more. I'm not saying that. But I do feel like all things are not equal in a way, which is not saying this is the greatest project of all time, but I'm doing things differently. And I have already, this is not future work. I've already created more than I have seen in any other nft project which is again not to say it's gonna go up and stay up i can't say that but it's different it's different and it's called cockpunch <laughs> <the same. laughs> so people are going to talk about it the x factor is like how much like meme lord magic juju do we attribute to <laughs> cockpunch the name in it itself but yeah anyway ryan what are your thoughts
0: Well, I think that's magic, right? So what I think that like you can't fail to underestimate is the memetic power of this thing. Honestly, we just spent like 30 minutes here just like kind of laughing about the names and all of the, like part of me is like, Tim, what have you just done to the internet, man? I think that this could totally blow up. I think honestly 0.5 ETH would be on kind of the low side. And I definitely, like Mm. personally, I wouldn't go lower than that. And like, here's the thing. You yeah, 0.5 ETH is worth a lot less in dollar terms, you know, than it was a year ago. And the other thing I sort of wonder is like, worst case scenario, if you have a high floor price, what if it doesn't completely sell out? Yeah. Like from the get-go, is that, I mean, you're gonna continue to release the story. Yeah, yeah, the story's gonna get you know, released. You continue to put the podcast out? Yeah, yeah. It's not like it. a one-time thing, right? It's so- not a
2: one-time thing. Now, let me actually get your two cents here, because I've had so many conversations and there's just no consensus, right? Because how could there be? All this stuff is so new. The one argument that I've paid attention to from one friend, and I'd just love to hear your thoughts, is he said, you know what? If you want to continue to do this beyond this collection, and you want to continue developing this over time, you may want to have the price lower just so you have the buffer of feeling very confident that this thing is going to fly out the door, which I feel pretty confident already. I mean, I've done a number of pre mint pages by this point, and the demand is the demand is solid. <laughs> I'll put it that way. Uh, I mean, we, yeah, the demand is very strong. So I feel good about it. But uh, what are your thoughts on that? I really try You know, there's a quote, I think it was from Maria Popova, who's one of my favorite people. She runs, uh, it's called The Marginalian now, (laughs) but it was brain pickings. And she's one of the most prolific, amazing writers and curators on the planet. And I think I'm attributing this correctly. She said, there's something like, I think she said actually pride and guilt are both terrible reasons to do anything. But I would add fear to that. In most cases, I think fear is a terrible motivating force to ride when you're making decisions. So there's part of me when someone says like, ah, like you should like push down, push down, push down, because you really want this one to be guaranteed to sell out and do well, because then that will buy you permission to do the next one. How do you think about that?
0: I think you should go with like, what would Tim Ferriss do? Because this whole thing is like, is you, right? It's kind of your DNA. And if Tim Ferriss is not one to kind of let fear motivate the price, then just don't do that. And you're authentic to yourself. And I mean, look, does Tim Ferriss with everything that you've done, the community and 900 million downloads and the books that you've written, and the time that you spend on this project, do you have ten thousand like true fans that are like at least, right? Yeah. And then you've got this whole intersection of like a group of people that maybe the in crypto that don't yet know much about Tim. Yeah. But like are just interested in this really cool experiment. And can you wrestle like, you know, eight thousand, ten thousand people to spend point five ETH on that to a good cause? Yeah. I don't know. I'm pretty bullish on yeah. it, but like, you know, David is more the NFT
1: collector among the two of us. So what do you think, David? I think to consider the price is certainly important. I think it's more worth your effort, Tim, to consider how to optimize ensuring that the people that are able to buy these NFTs are the people that you want to own them. That's a good yep. take. Yep. The Tim Ferris NFT is going to get gamed by bots and like hoarders sure. and people who yep. are going to suck value out of your project to whatever degree that you can identify your fans that are just as bullish on cockpunch as you are and make sure that they are able to buy the NFT, that I think is a better use of your time. And I think the price is going to... I think you can kind of sell this thing
2: for anything, honestly. Can I hop in for a second just to talk about that? Sure. So I've spent at least dozens of hours thinking about exactly what you just said. So we're on the same page. Good. How can I ensure that the people I want to own these, own these. The first is by not promising any utility or roadmap, in a sense. That's a dog whistle. What is a dog whistle? I know what a physical dog whistle is. So what does that mean?
1: Yeah, it's like you say a thing, but it's like a wink wink, I'm actually gonna do it kind of thing. Like I'm gonna say one thing.
2: Uh yeah, no, I can assure you. Okay, <laughs> with me, it's not. This is this is like there i mean, I'm sure there are gonna be some surprises, but that does not mean mm-hmm. that I'm gonna be, you know, as I put it on the proof podcast, like twice a year taking people to NBA games and giving unenthusiastic handjobs under the bleachers. <laughs> like I'm not gonna be
1: let me say it this way you didn't yeah. dissuade any. One who's trying to game your drop by saying that you made me more excited about it during yeah. this episode by just talking about it now game the drop in what sense
2: and then i'll come back to what i was going to say
1: like flipping them buying and flipping them just because it's tim ferris's nft and i don't really care about the cockpunch universe yep. yeah
2: there will also be a reveal delay just to throw that in there okay that's a start but which i think is going to be Entertaining, and I think it'll be actually very exciting to watch. But the this murk on your face tells me all I need to know, <laughs> yeah. So, so here's what I'd say How do I try to get people to buy this who I would like to buy this, mm-hmm. or like if they're gonna buy it, that I'm gonna like actually would be okay, like sitting at a dinner table with them and instead of wanting to like drop kick them in the face? Right. That one is, I say, don't buy this as an investment, like I'm in this. Not because I want to make a ton of money. <laughs> to be honest, there are easier ways for me to make money. Like, this is so labor intensive. I'm in this because I want to entertain myself. Mm-hmm. And that's fucking it. I want the energy also, the gift of energy, and the drafting of energy, the absorption of energy off of this so that I can apply it to all sorts of things, right? Right namely the foundation work just to offset how intense that can be but it's entertainment right so i want people who are somewhat aligned with that and that's why i keep bringing up the analogy like are you willing to trade like a handful of dinners for this given the price right and and i'm running off of current pricing it could have changed right but if we're talking about ETH, right? It's like, whatever, 500, 600 bucks, something like that. At least as we're talking right now, I think. Obviously moves around a lot. So I keep using these entertainment analogies very, very deliberately. The other thing I say, and this is gonna be in the FAQ on the Mint page, is like, if you're a dick, I'm gonna block you. Mm. Like, I'm gonna block you from every interesting thing that I can block you from. So just because it's become a norm that on the internet you can act in a way that would get you slapped in the real world those rules are different here. (laughs) Those, you will get cock blocked. Uh, And not only blocked from this, but like if I do anything in the future, if I can conceivably block you, I will block you. And I really want there to be a community, which to be clear, doesn't mean I don't want feedback. I love feedback and I love constructive criticism. But like, if it's delivered in a way that you would deliver to me in person or like at a dinner, Mm. Right not in a way that has become the norm online, which is just being a total dick. Uh, That's not going to be okay. So that's another way for trying to filter those people out. And I have thought methodically of how I can, to the extent possible, lose those folks who are going to be just a drain on not just me, but honestly on the whole community where people are going to be like, oh, this guy again. Mm -hmm. I want to avoid that. You basically want people who are going to hold long-term then, Tim, right? That's a
0: big piece. Yeah, you don't yeah, want the yeah. flipping as much.
2: Yeah, I would love long-term holders. I mean, they're going to be people who flip. I get it. Uh, you know, another way of I've thought about it, and I haven't figured this out yet, but you know, do I limit the number of NFTs per wallet? I almost certainly will, but like, what is the limit? Is it three? Is it two? Is it one? Uh, I mean, you you sort of discourage flipping as soon as you mm-hmm. decrease that number. Uh, especially with a reveal. Second, I Also still gameable, however. Yeah, yeah, gameable, for sure, gameable. The other way that you can discourage that is what I'm doing right now, which is the communities that I have reached out to to offer, say, pre mint pages where they can apply for allow list are all people I know. Every case has been somebody I know whose judgment I trust, who has cultivated, I think, communities where they're less likely to be problematic. So I've also been very deliberate about that, which might be the best way to sort of achieve the objective. But I'm thinking a lot about this, a lot about this, because like, for instance, what I wish I could do on Twitter is block somebody so that no one could see them in the comments on any posts. That would be a great feature Mm. because it's high consequence, right? Like if you have no impulse control, you better cultivate it. Cause if you're a dick, you can get vanished. And I mean, you can block someone, And they wouldn't see your tweets or whatever like that. But I have found that on my blog, for instance, after a thousand blog posts or whatever, that having it in the comment rules, like, hey, we're going to be cool here, like the fonts, if you're not cool, you're gone. (laughs) And the community gets it real quick. They get it real quick. And they also start to self police, right? Which is important. So by like laying out the rules, I mean, let's be honest, the people who are being idiots online are being idiots because they think it's going to get them some cheap applause from the seats where they'll get a couple of favorites and somebody will be like, yeah, the boy, yeah, you tell them. And if all of a sudden for every one of those, they get 20 people being like, dude, you're a dick, by the way, like, you know, why don't you eat some more SpaghettiOs and yell up from the basement to your mom to get some more, you know, like they're going to get like, they're going to get enforcement. So that's going to be good. Anyway, I don't know if any of this is making sense. Look,
0: I do think that founders DNA contributes to this. Like there's clearly a lot of NFT projects that are trying to like pump the price of their project. Like, you know, get celebrities to kind of use it and promise all sorts of utility, promise entire future worlds. And so, you know, I think you'll get some natural effects from kind of not doing some of those things. I guess, you know what, Tim, this kind of reminds me of as we sort of zoom out a little bit is just what I love about how you've described this project is... You are experimenting with telling a story using a new medium. Yeah. And I think that's really powerful, right? So, like, back in the day of Tolkien, right, writing books, that was the way you sort of explored that. And then we had like different movies, of course, you could explore uh, telling a story that way. I remember um, when I was young, like many listeners very into video games. And I remember really getting into the lore of Warcraft, right? And it wasn't just a video game, like you could read about Azeroth and the orcs and like the dark portal, and there were different characters that would come down. And for me, it was just like, a more immersive way to use my imagination to get inside of a world using this new form, which is like a video game. Yeah. And now you're starting to bring that to NFTs in a new creative way that yeah. I don't think I've seen, like focusing on the the story itself and telling that story through a digital collectible that is on a blockchain. Yeah. I think that's what's most exciting about this project to me.
2: Yeah, I mean, you're singing to the choir for, for, for me. You're preaching to the choir, I guess, is the proper way to put it. I think I'm a writer. Am I supposed to use words correctly? <laughs> Just when you write. I mean, I'm excited about it. I could not be more excited. And I will say, folks, if you have not read Tolkien stuff, go back and read it, and you're going to think to yourself, oh my God, all of these things that we take for granted now, different types of elves and orcs, and so like <laughs> these wizard archetypes. My goodness, this guy came up with a lot and codified a lot that we just take for granted now. It's ubiquitous, it's the water fantasy that we all swim in if we engage with fantasy, it's incredible. There are some New York Times pieces also on his notebooks and there's a separate New York Times piece on his language invention. And I recommend everybody take a look at those to get an idea of just how insanely obsessive and detailed he was with this. Also wrote a lot of his books during wartime, by the way, uh, so all the more impressive. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited. There are a lot of new elements. I have played in a handful of sandboxes now and been able to play well, right? In books and then in podcasts and then in producing audiobooks. A lot of people don't realize that. Like, I experimented with producing audiobooks for a while and did, I don't know, 10 or 15, some of which have done super, super, super well. Like, The Obstacle is the Way. By Ryan Holiday, which I recommend to everybody. Excellent book. So, this is a new sport for me where I can see, like, okay, what can I do here? What can I do here? And, you know, which tools do I want to pull off the rack and play with here? And I have not had this much energy and I've not had this much fun for, I don't know, five, six, seven years with any major project. So, I feel like that's a good sign.
0: I think listeners should feel like they've been sufficiently cock-punched by the end of this conversation. Okay, so I have, um, tell us, just summarize the release plan really, really quick and kind of next steps, if people are interested in, in seeing what's yeah. coming next. Tell us about that. And then I have mm-hmm. one more question for you before we close it out.
2: Yeah, next step is simple. It's emergent. <laughs> and therefore, I would suggest people follow at Cockpunch on Twitter, I would suggest they also follow at T Ferris, my main account, which has 1.8 or 1.9 million followers right now. So follow at T Ferris, T-F-E-R-R-I-S-S. So at Cockpunch on Twitter, at T Ferris, and then cockpunch.com will also have quite a bit. That was awesome, Tim. All right, thank you. How much did cockpunch.com cost you? Uh, You know, I can't kiss and tell on that one, but the fact that I spent so much time and had so many People involved in getting that is yet another (laughs) comical absurdity related to this project. Um,
0: Last question for you because uh, I can resist. You mentioned it a little bit earlier. I think a lot of people listening now, when this episode comes up, they will have also been in the place with you where they have been like hit by FTX and some of the damage that SPF and others caused. Yeah. Is there anything you could say about that? I mean, you could divulge whatever you'd like about that, about like kind of, I don't know, but. Hopefully, yeah I guess my ask to you, do you have any advice for people listening who've just been hit hard by that because it sounds like you've found yourself in a similar position? Just describe that for us.
2: Yeah, it's been brutal, and I know people who are in really bad positions right now because of all of this and we're super heavily weighted in crypto. I was very heavily weighted in crypto. Uh, I mean, I still am, but that percentage has gone down a lot, right? I mean, a lot of folks are down 70, 80 plus percent, depending on what they're looking at. And I think it's, I don't think, I know that it's scary. I mean, I remember in 2008, when I just bought my first house, and this is less than a year, or might have been late 2007, I bought my first house shortly after the book, which by the way, for our work week, I mean, I I got a $75,000 advance paid over like 17 installments. So it was not not much. Then that was paid out over a long time, like a year plus, I wanna say. And bought my first house, which was a stretch, and then put a bunch of money into stocks because I was told that's what I should do. And then 2008, right, uh, subprime, mortgage crisis, financial implosion, everything just craters. And I was on, I made a big mistake tactically. I was on an adjustable rate mortgage. And that turned into a real problem. And it was terrifying. It was really terrifying for me. And what helped me then and what still helps me and what might help some people listening is to do an exercise that is always in my hip pocket for when I need it called fear setting. And I actually gave a TED talk on this for people who want that type of explanation. They can find it. It's got, I think, 10 million plus views. And fear setting is this process by which, and I think if you just go to tim.blog TED, actually, tim.blog TED, you find the TED talk and then you also find the text. And the text, I believe, originated the first time I put it down on paper was for our work week. I've made some slight tweaks to it, but the general process, I'll just tell people how to do it, is you in one column, take a piece of paper and you break it into a handful of columns. On the left-hand side, you make a long list of all of the things that could go wrong, all of the worst things that could happen. And write them down in detail if possible. Then in the second column, And there are a few different versions of this, but the second column, you write down what you could do, if anything, to decrease the likelihood of each of those things happening, okay? So get a big piece of paper for this, or multiple pages, or you could do it digitally, I like to do it by hand because I'm an old bastard. Then in the third column, you write down what you could do to minimize the damage or recover if these things happen at all, like what could they be, right? So if if you're, say, if your savings are down and you're worried about getting laid off because your company is laying people off or maybe it, it could lay people off, what could you do, right? Like what could you do to minimize the likelihood of that happening? It's like, go to your boss, ask if you could do an early performance review or get proactive about improving and demonstrating performance, making yourself indispensable, right? Learning how to use different tools for sort of optimizing your workflow and output. Maybe you're not even communicating what you're doing well to your boss, right? I mean, there are things you could do to minimize the likelihood of getting laid off. Just as an example, I'm making this up off the cuff. And then if you did get laid off, what could you do? Well, maybe there are, and I'm not saying these are desirable, right? These are lesser options, not ideal options, but there are things you could do to minimize the damage. You could get a job at Starbucks, right? You could download Uber on your app and start driving on Uber or doing something else in the gig economy. You could, uh, let's just say you're a designer, hypothetically, right? You could throw yourself up on any number of sites that allow you to do per project projects, kind of on demand. You could start your own business. I happen to think that recessions are some of the best times to start business because there's a lot of talent out there that is available at bargain basement prices. And all of my best investments, by the way, were made between 2008 and 2010. com depression. Practically all of the best ones were made during that period of time. What else could you do? You could ask friends or family to give you a loan. I know this is going to sound very unappetizing, but it's not outside of the realm of possibility for a lot of people. Like you could do that if it came down to it. So on and so forth, right? And when you put all of this on paper, what it does at the very least is it allows you to down-regulate your nervous system so that you're more emotionally stable and you can make decisions from a clear place where you're not constantly inside the snow globe that's been shaken up being bounced here and fro, here and fro, to and fro, (laughs) here and there by every bit of craziness that you come across while you're doom scrolling on Twitter. I would say stop that too, by the way. <laughs> Don't doom scroll on Twitter. Just <laughs> stop, stop looking for bad news on Twitter, <laughs> would be one. I never look at my feed. I only look at, at replies and stuff. Basically, never look at my feed. So, and a corollary, a compliment to the fear setting exercise would be go on a low information diet immediately a selective ignorance, low information diet. I wrote a bunch about it in the four hour work week. I still follow this. I don't have any social apps downloaded on my phone. I used to, and I realized I'm outgunned. Their PhDs, data scientists, and algorithms are gonna defeat my self-control every day. So they're not on my phone. I can still access them, but I have to go through the trouble of going to a browser or getting on my laptop and using them. So those would be a few things that come to mind. And if people want bonus points, they could do some reading of Stoic philosophy. Uh, Stoic philosophy is very good for times like this, I think. It builds incredible resilience and just makes you, it gives you a higher threshold of stress tolerance in volatile times. So you can do that any number of ways. The Moral Letters to Lucilius by Seneca the Younger. The Penguin Classics version is Letters from a Stoic, I believe, by Seneca the Younger, by Seneca more typically. I put out free PDFs, this is a while back, called the Tao of Seneca. You can find these on Tim.blog, the Tao of Seneca. You can download these, I think, incredibly well put together PDFs with original illustrations and calligraphy and incredible maxims. People can find that for free. So those are a few things that come to mind. I mean, this is scary. It's really scary. And especially if you're in crypto, where things are more volatile, It's a very manic depressive community in my experience, right? Like the mania and the fear and depression is so extreme. It gets amplified to the ends of the poles and it can make, I think, people less resilient when you're exposed to that day in and day out. So I would also say to the extent possible, spend time with friends or find friends to spend time with or follow people online, if you're gonna follow people online, who exhibit a calm, measured demeanor. That would be another one, who are not panicking constantly online. There's someone who comes to mind who's a friend, and I don't spend a lot of time digesting his Twitter account, but like Sam Harris, I think, would probably be a good exemplar of that. And he walks the talk in real life. I mean, he is what you would hope him to be. So those are a few pieces of advice that come to mind. No one can control the macro. Mm -hmm. Nobody does. And you can't predict what the Fed's gonna do. You can't predict what Putin's gonna do. You can't predict (laughs) uh, what anyone is gonna do. You can only control or try to cultivate the ability to respond with a little gap so that you can consider your response as opposed to being hyper reactive and i would try to spend time on that because that's the equivalent of the seatbelt or the airbag in the car crash mm. is having that awareness that you've cultivated so that you are not subject to being th- tossed by the winds of news cycles and so on because things could get a lot worse. You know, I don't want to predict that. I'm not necessarily predicting that, but things could get a lot worse. I've been through, this is one of the benefits of maybe being in my mid-40s, is I've been through quite a few of these. You know, I've been through 99, 2000, where I got laid off, and that's when I started my first real company, (laughs) which turned out great. And I used my severance, and at the time, healthcare in California, Cobra, to cover me, for enough time for me to really get motivated and try to get some cash in the door, which I did, enough to at least pay for rent and so on. So I've been through that. I've been through 2008 and I've been through you know various wars and so on. And then coming through this, and the good news is once you go through a few of these, you do get a little calmer. And I know this is probably a day late, a dollar short in terms of advice, but I do not place investments or... Bets or certainly not gambles with money that I cannot afford to lose, hmm. right? And I've made mistakes with this, just to be clear. Early on, I did make mistakes. and I was like, fuck, there goes my entire bankroll, <laughs> now <laughs> what? So I've learned over time. But the way that I'm talking about this project, <laughs> maybe kind of a Debbie Downer to end on this, but the way I'm talking about this project, I'm saying like, hey guys, view it as entertainment, could go to zero. This is exactly the conversation that I have with friends if I'm an advisor to an early stage startup and I go to them to see if they want to invest. If they ask me, like, what do you think this has the potential to do? Like 10X, 100X, 1000X, because some of these startups, 1000X, I mean, it's crazy, but they do. And most of them go to zero. I'll give my answer, whatever my answer is, and then I'll say, there is a chance, as you know, very good chance this goes to zero. There are a million ways this could go to zero. And you should not put anything in that you are not perfectly on some level happy to lose because you know this is completely asymmetrical. It's binary, it's it's zero or one, and one being hopefully some multiple, but not always. And you know, I've been involved with startups where I have advised and put in work for seven, eight years and end up with zero. Uh, or I end up with a check for like, 1200 bucks. <laughs> and <laughs> that's just kind of part of the world that I've become accustomed to operating in. So I'm very accustomed now to volatility and playing any of these, mar- not playing, but being involved with any of these markets with that in mind. So I always look at my maximum downside potential and I only use what I'm comfortable losing. But I realize that for a lot of folks, they will not find that useful for the events that have just transpired. But it is a very, very good guideline for any of this stuff moving forward. 100%. And there will be more bull markets. There are going to be more bull markets. And there are definitely going to be more bear markets. And if you're in it for the long game, and I encourage everyone to be in it for the long game, you benefit from and I have benefited from over time, learning from my mistakes and developing a a philosophical safety net by cultivating certain beliefs and practices through things like stoicism and fear setting, which is adapted directly from stoicism, by the way. And cognitive behavioral therapy was also based largely on stoic philosophy, just as a side note for folks. And it's hard. Man, from a political level, from a geopolitical level, from a economic perspective, things seem really scary. Choose your sources of information very carefully uh, and titrate it down to the bare minimum and focus on, in my opinion, focus on creating, not consuming, right? And that might sound strange coming from somebody who's launching this project shortly, but focus on creating, I mean part of my hope is that people who engage with this will actually engage with creating maybe related to this world maybe not but things at some point will hit that rebound and they will I expect that there will be more bull markets <laughs> it would be a, it would be a first in history if that weren't the case but it could take a long time it could take it could take a while right so also don't believe people on crypto twitter who are like look at this chart, it's coming back next week. It's coming back next week. Don't make any of your- Oh, it's every single chart and it's got a green line that points up. Yeah, do not base your long-term financial decisions on any of that. Bear markets can last a while, right? I mean, it could be five, six, seven years, maybe longer. I mean, it could be that long. Might not be, but uh, I would say be optimistic when you're making any kind, spending money, don't spend money you can't afford to lose, or if you're placing it anywhere, and I will say also for creativity, for entrepreneurship, everything that I've done, everything that I've seen, all the best stuff comes out of bear markets. Same
0: here, and I think that's been the story of crypto. And Tim, I think we're kind of concluding with uh, you know what people love about you so much, and you know, the conversation is. When you asked him for advice, he comes back with like mental models and tools and books Mm -hmm. and references and TED Talks and things you can go download because he's worked through many of these issues. And we certainly appreciate that about you. Fear setting, low information diet, letters from a stoic. We could be in this bear market for a while in crypto. Mm -hmm. And these are some of the mental tools you need to prepare yourself. Tim. It's been a pleasure, man. It's really cool to meet you in person. I, I like, you know, you gonna have to show us how do you get to uh, a billion podcast downloads. We're, I think, we just hit 30 yeah. million, I think, last week. Congratulations. We got a long road to get to a billion, my friend. But
2: um, yeah, yeah, teach us what you know. I've been doing it since 2014. <laughs> yeah. So what I would say, here's my advice on the podcast, and this will apply to anyone, choose something you can sustain. Mm-hmm. So so create something that is sort of wide enough and flexible enough that you can keep it interesting for yourself so you have the energy to continue. Ideally, something that feeds you. Otherwise, you're just not going to have the endurance. And that's why I designed my podcast in the way I designed it and continue to experiment with different formats. And that is how I've approached my books. That is also how I'm approaching (laughs) cockpit. is how do I set the parameters and conditions and expectations in the beginning such that I can continue to create? And uh, it's true for the podcast. I think it's true for your podcast. I think it's true for all podcasts. And that's why when people are like, "Ah, I've never done a podcast, I'm going to try to out this American life, this American life. And I'm like, Ooh, Ooh, that's a risky one. That's a risky one. And then I talked to them two months later. I'm like, how'd the podcast going? they're like, yeah, I did two episodes. It so much fucking work. I quit. I'm like, yeah, could have seen that coming. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's what we've learned, too, is
0: you have to make it a passion. And that's certainly true. I think a sage advice to end with for you and I, David, is, mm-hmm. you know, getting energy. The last two weeks, I will say, Tim, have been kind of energy draining yeah, in a lot of ways I in bet. crypto and even the podcast game. But yeah. All right, man, Uh, we appreciate it. Uh, Cockpunch coming soon. I love that we opened serious, and then we had Cockpunch in the middle and then we kind of ended Sirius. Yeah. Perfect way to bookend this episode. Perfect. But it's great to be with you. At
2: Cockpunch, <laughs> Cockpunch.com.
0: We've got some action items for you. Bankless Nation, as we always do, that's cockpunch.com. If you want to check out what Tim is brewing, follow at cockpunch on Twitter. Also, you can check out the foundation that he was mentioning. We've got a link. He's just loving that I'm saying cock punch. <laughs> Fear setting too. We'll include a link that Tim mentioned to the TED Talk, Letters from a Stoic, all of these resources in the show notes. Of course, Tim, you're going to like this. We do risks and disclaimers at the end of every episode. Hopefully you pay attention, bankless listener. Crypto is risky. You could lose what you put in, but we're headed west. This is the frontier. It's not for everyone, but we're glad you're with us in the bankless journey. Thanks a lot.